just as I am. Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And I recently read a news story about an American preacher visiting the underground church in China. 22 Chinese Christians took a 13-hour train ride to meet in a 700-square-foot hotel room for a leadership training seminar. 18 of the 22 had been imprisoned for their faith. The American preacher passed out 15 Bibles, it was all that he had, and invited the attendees to turn to Second Peter. He couldn't help but notice how one woman handed the Bible she had been given to her neighbor. He later found out why. He found out that this woman had committed the entire book of Second Peter to memory. She had done so while in prison. Little scraps of Bible verses were smuggled in past the guards and passed among the various inmates and through that, she was able to memorize the book of Second Peter. Here's what she had to say. That's why we memorize it as fast as we can, she explained, because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I admit I can't help but feel a, a sense of shame reading that news article. I'm not wishing for persecution. But I must admit that American Christians have gotten a little too comfortable, we have taken a little too much for granted, and we have real trouble keeping our priorities straight. This woman's example reminds us of how precious this book is, this book that most of us have a couple of copies of in our home, and we have a bunch of copies on our phones and on our tablets and available to us on our computers. We've taken the Bible for granted. I'd like to spend a few minutes thinking about this book and the incredible story of how it came to, to reach our hands in our day and age. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12, Paul shows us how the Word of God comes from God's mind and, and reaches us, how God communicates Himself to us. It begins with formulation, that the Word of God begins in his mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 7, Paul says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God had his word, his will, in mind before the world was created. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. So God had formulated the message in his mind. Jesus had communicated that message, which is the next step in this process. The word of God is formulated in his mind, and then it is revealed. God uncovers what was concealed. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 10, Paul says that God reveals these things to us by His Spirit. He echoes this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, talking about the mystery which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. So what was formulated in God's mind is revealed through His Spirit. And the Spirit then inspires those men to speak and to write it, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So Paul and his fellow apostles and prophets, they, they spoke what they had heard from the Spirit what they were moved to say by the Spirit. And they wrote these things down so that we would know what the will of God is. So the Word is formulated in God's mind. It is revealed by His Spirit. And His Spirit inspires men and women to speak and to write these things down. This is what we have in our hands. It is the inspired Word of God. As Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. As we read through the pages of this book we call the Bible, we must ask ourselves, what is Scripture? Well, the Scripture is the original text when it left the hands of the writer. So it's that original document that the apostle or the prophet put pen to paper, sent it off to its various recipients. That was the inspired Word of God. That was Scripture. But here's the trouble. As far as we know, none of the original documents penned by the original New Testament authors have been discovered. What we have are a lot of copies, which we call manuscripts. Now, some people are troubled by the, the thought that we don't have any of the originals. What, what happened to them? What, what could have possibly happened to these letters? Well, when a letter left an apostle's hands... It was intended to be read by the church or by the person who received it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27, Paul charges the church at Thessalonica, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And then the early churches would exchange those letters with one another. In fact, Paul encourages the Colossians to do this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, to exchange letters with the church at Laodicea. He had written to Laodicea. He wanted the church at Colossae to read the letter to Laodicea and the church at Laodicea to read the letter written to Colossae. So these letters were, were read by the church. They were exchanged with other churches. And we have good reason to believe that these original letters were preserved by the church for centuries. Remember that books were very valuable in the ancient world. They were very expensive to produce, and they became treasured possessions. We have historical records of Aristotle's originals preserved for hundreds of years after Aristotle had written them. And when it comes to the New Testament, we have some testimony from Tertullian in about 180 AD, where he invites skeptics, come now you who would indulge a better curiosity. If you would apply it to the business of your salvation, run over to the apostolic churches in which the very thrones of the apostles are still preeminent in their places, in which their own authentic writings are read, uttering the voice and representing the face of each of them severally. Now, the churches to which Tertullian was referring were the churches at Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, Ephesus, and Rome. 
Tertullian is claiming that the original letters written to these congregations were still in the possession of these churches as late as the late 2nd century AD. Now, that's quite a claim. But remember, Tertullian is challenging skeptics. He's challenging people who are questioning the authenticity of what Tertullian is preaching. So why would he do this unless he was fully confident that what these churches possessed was, in fact, the real thing? So these books were precious. They were treasured possessions, and they were preserved for a long period of time. So what happened to those originals? Well, they were copied. Greek was the English language of the classical world, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and Greek copies were made of all the New Testament books. How many copies were made? Well, we have no way of knowing, but we have fragments that go all the way back to the early 100s AD. And again, we have no reason to believe any of the originals survived, but we've got these copies. And in the 1500s, Erasmus put together the first fully assembled Greek New Testament from eight manuscripts called the Textus Receptus. Since then, we've discovered thousands more Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. To date, we have discovered nearly 6,000 Greek manuscripts, which is an amazing, an amazing cache of documents from which we can determine the original word that was revealed to the apostles and prophets. The originals were not only copied, the originals were translated. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, you might recall that Paul claimed the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven at that point. Not everyone spoke Greek, and the apostles were charged to take the gospel to every corner of the world, to preach it to every creature under heaven. And since not everyone could speak Greek, we see translations happening very early. As the gospel was preached in new locations, evangelists would often translate the New Testament into local languages. And many of those translations have survived. In fact, we have about 20,000 ancient translations of the New Testament in our possession today. This gives us an amazing collection of ancient documents that help us figure out what those originals actually said. Now, when it comes to translations, there's a couple of things we should bear in mind. No translator is inspired, and copyists are not inspired. This is something that makes translating different than what the apostles and prophets were doing. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. They were directed by the Holy Spirit. Translators and copyists are not inspired. So as we look at these copies of the New Testament, we find errors. Copyists made mistakes. But remember, we have nearly 25,000 ancient copies and translations to help us figure out what was in the original. And then we have the issue of translators sometimes disagreeing about how to translate Greek words. This is one reason why in, in our day and age we see discrepancies between the more modern translations like the English Standard Version and the older translations like the King James Version. Our understanding of Greek has changed. We've become a little bit better at figuring out what Greek words mean, and, and our translations reflect that. So, Translators are not perfect. They are not inspired. 
And as we look at those ancient copies, as we look at those ancient translations, we're going to see human error enter in. It doesn't mean that the scripture has been changed or altered or that these things were done on purpose. By no means. It just simply means that these were humans doing the best they could, but making mistakes as humans are wont to do. Another thing to bear in mind about the translations that we use today is different translations come from different manuscript collections. You might remember a little bit earlier, I mentioned the man Erasmus, who assembled the first complete Greek New Testament back in the 1500s, and he did this from about eight Greek manuscripts. We call this collection of manuscripts the Textus Receptus, and the Textus Receptus was the the Greek manuscript that was used to translate the King James Version of the Bible, clear back in 1611. But since then, as I mentioned, we've discovered thousands more manuscripts. And this has led us to put together other manuscript collections, such as the Nestle Alland, which takes into account 5,000 Greek manuscripts, which have been discovered since the time of Erasmus. And most modern translations come from the Nestle Alland, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the NIV, and the New English Translation. So by discovering more manuscripts, we have been able to better discern what was in the original books of the New Testament. And there are discrepancies between the Textus Receptus and these other manuscripts. Should that make us uneasy? Do we have reason to think that the copyists led us astray, that all of these translations have clouded what the original text was? Bruce Metzger was the foremost scholar of uh, biblical criticism in the latter part of the 20th century. He was a professor at Princeton, and he was highly esteemed. It was his personal belief that the New Testament had been copied with 99.99% accuracy. Now, that's quite a claim, but this was a man in the know. So should these discrepancies, should these differences, should they throw off our faith, should they shake our confidence in the Bible and the Word of God? I don't think so. And I'm very thankful that we have all of this evidence because it helps us to figure out what exactly God said to the apostles and prophets in those original documents. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.